This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hi, this is uh, Jay Horowitz with the latest edition of the Mets Alumni Podcast. And thrilled to have uh, Jerry Kuzman and his longtime teammate, uh, Ed Craypool. You know, uh, Jerry's number 36 could be retired uh, August uh, 28th. And Jerry is only the third Mets player in the nearly 60-year history of the Mets to have his number retired. Before I get to you, Ed, Jerry, tell me, how does it feel, you know, you know uh, Tom Seaver, Mike Piazza, Jerry Kuzman, 36, could be retired what does it make you feel like? Well, um, very humbled. Uh, when I got the call that they were going to do it, I, I thought they were calling the wrong person. They should have called uh, Ed. I thought they were meant to call Ed Cranepool. They got the wrong K, man. But no, it, it, it's uh, good. I, you know, uh, what can you say? Uh, I'm, I'm joining, uh, I'm with a great organization. I'm joining some or following some great guys that are, are ahead of me. And I'm sure there'll be some more great guys behind me. Eddie, let me ask you this. Is a long time teammate of Jerry's, you know, with Tom Seaver and, and, and Jerry, and you guys always thought of it. We never had a real number one. It was always one and one A. What did Jerry Kuzman bring to the table every fifth, fourth or fifth day? I'll tell you what, we always knew when Jerry went to the game, game and, and was going to pitch, he was the toughest guy I felt uh, on the staff because he was the indicator for the ball club. Whenever we needed a tough game or we needed a tough foul, we wanted Jerry out there because he had our back all the time. Seba was a great pitcher, but, you know, he was a little bit more of finesse than Jerry Kuzman. The one thing about Jerry, he might have started the game and it was struggling a little bit in the first inning, but if he got the guys, one or two guys out, we knew he was going to get on a roll. And there's nobody we wanted in there in a tight situation. I wouldn't go to the bullpen. I wasn't looking over my shoulder into right field to see who was warming up because Kuzman was the man. He was the guy that turned everything around. He was a stopper. Yeah. Let me talk about one particular game, not a World Series game yet, against the Cubs in early September of 69. Uh, Bill Hands uh, hits Tommy uh, Agee in the head or the shoulder, whatever it was. And the next time we came to next inning, you hit Ron Santo in the, in the, in the ribs or almost broke his elbow. Was that, I, I want to say it was intentional, but was it kind of a purpose pitch on your end? <laughs> yeah, it was intentional. You got to set it up. I think I threw a first pitch down and away in the dirt, and then the next one uh, zeroed in on him. But, um, you know, when uh, Bill Hands knocked A.G. down, uh, you got to stop it right there. You can't let them show your players up or take advantage of your team like that. So my model was if they threw it by guys, I was going to go after their best guy, not their eighth-place hitter, but their cleanup hitter. And uh, it stops pretty quick then. 
Although and, later Bill Ham threw at me, he tried to hit me and I hollered back at him. I said, you don't hurt. You don't throw hard enough to hurt anybody. That's, that's funny. <laughs> hey, what did it make you feel like when you saw, you know, after age, you got knocked down and a jury comes right back and you know, throws it to one of their best guys? Well, we knew we had the right guy on the mound. That he was going to stop it right away. This has happened many, many times. The hitters get hit, you know, and and doesn't matter who it is. Somebody's got to do something about it. We saw this happen to Tommy Agee the first day of spring training when Bob Gibson was pitching. Of course, you know what happened. First pitch of the game in spring training, he was trying to intimidate Tommy Agee, hit him right in the head. He was never the same in 1968. It took him a full year to recover because you know what? It hurts when you get hit. Believe it or not, you want to be crying at the plate. You know, you get hit and you get hit in the head. That's that's tough. But who was on the mound for us that day? None other than our, our golden boy, Tom Seaver. And he threw at Bob Gibson, but about eight feet over their head. Jerry Kuzman threw between the shoulders. And you know what? That stops it all. Bob Gibson would have never threw at AG again. And, and he wouldn't throw at anybody else if he knew that Jerry was going to hit him in the side. You know, hitting Kurt Flood doesn't make a difference. Or Lou Brock hitting Bob Gibson. And that's Jerry would do that. So, you know what? It makes you want to go out there and play. Makes you want to win for Jerry. You'll do anything. You'll die for balls. You'll run defenses. You know you have your man on the mound. And he was great. He could have won a lot more games with a better offensive ball club. There's no question about it. And he had a real good shot. You know, later on, after all those 20-game seasons in the White Sox, it proved that he's a 20-game winner. He could have been in the Hall of Fame, not only in the Mets Hall of Fame, you know, the regular Hall of Fame. He was that good. Jerry, let me ask you with, with Tom Seaver. Was there a rivalry between you two guys? And you usually follow him. Do you have to chart his games? You know, was, was there, how did you approach, you know, I know you cheered for each other. Was there any kind of a rivalry between the two of you? No. No, we had fun uh, uh, competing for our team, and we had fun competing against each other. We had some side bets like, oh, gosh, who could strike uh, or who could saw a guy off the most times in one at bat? Um, who could uh, get the side out with the least number of pitches in an inning? Um, we'd bet dinners on stuff like that. We had a lot of fun doing it, and plus Tug McGraw, he was a great uh, leader in the bullpen, and he got stuff going in the bullpen, competitive uh, things like that going, which really helps speed the season up. It makes it more fun, and it puts everybody's head in the game. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you, you, you were with the Mets in the beginning, you know, 100 lost seasons. What did it mean to you guys, you know, first Seaver came in 67, and Jerry came in 68. What did that do for the psyche of the ball club to add those two pitchers and did you feel you were on the way to something special then? Well, you knew you had something special with both of them the day they arrived in spring training or, or during the season because they had great arms. They had the ability to go out there and, and, and compete against everybody, and they were intimidators. So when you have a staff like that, that's the first two guys. It's pretty tough to have a long losing streak because you're always going to come up to these guys every fifth or sixth time. You know, you keep switching. So you're not going to dominate the Mets for too long. And then we added other great arms, you know, with Gentry and Ryan. You know, we had a great staff. These guys were competitive. And, you know, at the end of my career, when I looked around the locker room, because I played with Jerry for 10 or 12 years, all my buddies were gone. You know, it was a strange locker room. Yeah. Hey, Jerry, can I just spell two rumors with you? 
Number one is that you almost got cut in 1966 because your car broke down, go to spring training. You borrowed money from the Mets and the people in charge then said, let's not cut him until he repays the money. Is that true? Halfway true? Not well, true at all? What happened was uh, there was three of us driving down the spring train together and we we're going through. I wasn't driving. Uh, Jerry Wild was driving. He is from that area. So he's driving, it's raining out, and he ends up kind of running a red light. We got broadsided, and the, the car got totaled out. And so now we had no way to get to uh, Homestead, Florida. So uh, we decided it was Jerry Johnson, Jerry Wild, and myself. And uh, they decided that uh, the guy who had the best record the year before should make the call to Joe McDonald. Well, I was 7 at 11 in Greenville, South Carolina. But I got voted to make the call. And so uh, Joe wired us 50 bucks so we'd catch a bus and get to Homestead, Florida. Well, in the meantime, my dad wanted me to get another car. So I bought a car and we drove down instead of taking the bus. But anyway, as now this is Joe McDonald's side. He says that I owed him 50 bucks and why they didn't release me. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it makes for a good story. It, it does. <laughs> the, other, the other story, the, the Usher story, that you were in the Army at Fort Bliss, and the son of a Mets Usher uh, uh, called the Mets and said, we have to sign this guy, and, 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 and they signed him because of the report from the Usher son. Well, the, the catcher in the service down in El Paso, Texas, was uh, John Lucchese, and his, he was my catcher, and his dad was an Usher at Shea Stadium. So the son told the dad to tell the Mets that, the, you know, they had a guy down there that threw fairly good. And uh, so, but the front office had already sent Red Murph to scout in that area to see me. So they knew about me already. But that makes for another good story. Why not? The truth is only you have truth. Why not? And yeah. let me suppose you guys could put 69 out for a second. In mid-August, the, the team is... Uh, you know, nine, nine and a half games out of last place, you proceed to go from 52 and 51 to 162. And let me start with you. What happened? How was that crazy turnabout? What clicked in for you guys? Well, what did Eddie start first, Eddie? Oh, okay. I really think, uh, you know, we went out to California and we started to play those California teams and we, we beat them. We beat the Dodgers. We beat the Giants, you know. We had the same combo that the Dodgers had. They had a great pitching staff, and we had, you know, two guys, three guys that could really combat combat them, you know. So we dominated them out there. We beat the Dodgers. We beat the Giants. I think we went down to Houston, and then we came home and played the Cubs. So we, we started winning some games. We finally were over 500 late in the year, and I'll tell you what, we played together as a team. There was no I in team with the Mets. Everyone contributed. We had a great one-two combination. These guys were tremendous. We knew we had what we were going to get. And the other guys, I guess, were jealous of Seaver and Kuzman because they all pitched well. Don Coswell, uh, Codwell pitched great down the stretch. Jim McAndrew filled in and did well. Tug McGraw came on in the bullpen. You know, the pitching staff looks, they feed off the guys at the top. And these guys were going nine innings, striking out people. It was no good game after five innings. You wouldn't see these guys. Don't go to the mound until the ninth inning, maybe. And then if you asked them, you know, they weren't tired. They were going to, they were just working on people. They could get people out late in the game, early in the game. 
any time. They were competitors, and that's what made the Mets great. We could have won more World Series with these two guys. We wouldn't have had to trade either one of them. We should have kept them all. And I'll tell you what, we'd be a great, great ball club. Jerry, what was it? Was it a turning point for you from Pakistan? Oh, goodness. I don't know. Before I get to that, I got to say something that doesn't get enough uh, notoriety. Is Crane Poe was the best first baseman I ever had. And we never talk about it. It never seems to come up when you're doing interviews with the press or anything. But um, Cranepool made me a great pitcher as far as holding guys on and coming out with a better move all the time. He had a little sign about him. I don't know what it was. Crane had a little things he might give his glove one of those or something, want me to throw to first. He had little things he would do to kind of let me know that it's a good, the guy might be running or it might be a hit and run on or whatever. And uh, so that was fun. I always look forward to your science, Crane. We picked well, the guys. Well, I'll tell you what, we kept the guys close and you had a great move. So, yeah. you know, they weren't stealing that extra base. And, of course, if you held them close, off catcher Grody could throw anybody out. I don't care who it was. Lou Brock, Ricky Henderson. They didn't want to steal off Grody, especially if you don't give them 10, 10 step lead. Yeah, we picked a few guys off too, didn't we, Crane? You're right. We we picked the <laughs> pocket. But we we had money in the pockets for going out in celebration, and that was the best thing about you. Win or lose, we were going out after the game. <laughs> time, Jerry. That's shocking, really, Jerry. I didn't. You used to celebrate. Well, yeah, when, you're, when you're a starting pitcher, the only time you can go out is the night after the game because now you got to start getting ready for your next start five days later. So, yeah, we'd go out after the game and uh, have some fun. But you always had to be back in time because Gil Hadges had a strict curfew, uh, one o'clock on, uh, what, night games, at 12 o'clock on day games. Do you, any of you guys ever get caught? Um, I got caught once in, uh, God, I think it was uh, Montreal. Ray Sadecki was my roommate. And... Um, uh, we had been out to eat or do something, but anyway, we came back to the hotel and as we're coming down the hallway, Pink Natano just leaving our room. We'd been knocking on the door and we didn't answer. And we said, Hey, Piggy, here we are. He says, you're too late. hundred bucks each. <laughs> That's the only time I got fined. Hey, Jerry, 69, was it one game? What did you think this could be, especially here in 69? You know, we were a new club, or a lot of young guys in spring training, and we had never won before. We didn't know what it take to win. You know, you just go by what other clubs are doing, and then you're, you're just trying to um, cement your uh, – your livelihood in, you know, have a good year. So you're playing the next year. But uh, as like Crane said, when we in June, I believe it was, we were on that 10 game road trip to the West coast and uh, we won like 10 in a row. And we ended up going to Houston. Uh, we had that, what, 23 or whatever inning game. We lost one or nothing on a bad hop over Buddy Harrelson's head because right. it dragged the infield then. The infield was a mess by after 24 innings. And then we go to New Nolan Ryan and I were the only two that didn't get in that game. 
We go to New York and then there's a day off and then we open up against the San Francisco Giants. And uh, we win that one three to nothing. And that set the stage kind of for our home team fans. Then we kind of played so-so, like Crane said, for a few months. And then June came and won that 10-game win streak. But I kind of twisted things up there a little bit. But uh, then that 10-game win streak really kind of put the thought in our heads that, hey, we we are good enough to beat these good teams and, and we didn't go farther. And like Crane said, things built throughout the way and everybody did their part. Everybody was a hero at a different time. Jerry, I want to focus on a doubleheader in Pittsburgh in September. The Mets win both games, one nothing, one nothing. You start first game, you drive in her only run in the game. Don Cardwell starts the second game. Only one in the game. Got to think after that win, maybe something's going right for us. Well, we had, we had been in L.A. and Gil Hodges, being we had a doubleheader the next day, no off day. Uh, uh, I think it was a twi-night doubleheader. And so Gil Hodges sent Cardwell and me on ahead so that we wouldn't get in late the day of the game. And so, uh, yeah, I... I shut him out one to nothing with a line drive over second base to drive a run in. And Darn Cardwell did the same thing, line drive over second base to drive a run in. So we win uh, two games, one to nothing. And Pittsburgh was a tough club. And uh, they had good pitching too, didn't they, Green? Yeah, yeah, they did. I'll tell you, the biggest surprise, Jay, was that uh, Kuzman got a hit and, and drove in that run in that game. But you know what? He worked hard. When he first came up, he was an automatic out. Automatic. He couldn't hit a basketball. But by the end of his career, he started making contact because of the competitor that he was. He worked at it in the spring. He could bunt. He hit, put the ball in play. Cardwell was a good hitter, so we didn't mind him getting a base hit. It was embarrassing to the hitters that these two guys drove in both runs. So then we started to play a little bit better down the stretch. Kind of gave us influence, Eddie. To how to do better. Crane's right. I got my first hit in August that year in Atlanta off of Joe Necro, uh, Phil Necro, the knuckleball pitcher. (laughs) But he's right. In 68, um, let's see, Koufax held the National League record for striking out the most times by a pitcher was uh, 66, I believe. And I think, um, I forget who it was in the American League that held the record of 67 and I struck out 68 times in 68. So you got better. Okay. I just, I just want to remind the fans again, August 28th, uh, Jerry's number at 36 to be retired and the ceremony started at 645. So you'll be in your seat. Hey, guys, let me just talk about 69 for a little bit. In my mind, you know, you, Jerry probably won the two most crucial games in Mets history. Uh, game one, Mets lose to the Orioles four to one. Seaver loses. Uh, and let me start with you. What was the feeling in the locker room? You know, coming back, you're down all one. You got a, another game in Baltimore. What was the feeling of the guys after losing the first game in 69? Well, we were up for the series. So we, we had tremendous confidence going in. Losing the first game with Seaver on the mound, we weren't, uh, you know, we didn't feel bad about that because we knew we had Kuzman coming back. And, of course, Jerry came back with a great game. He shut him down, you know, really dominated the game. And then we were ready for it because 
in the bullpen were all the left-handers. We were waiting to play. We hadn't played. We won the, the playoffs beating the uh, Atlanta Braves three games in a row, but we didn't. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, that's the truth, you know, when you sneeze on the truth. But anyway, we came the World Series. The lefties were waiting for Jim Palmer in New York. So once Jerry shut him out the second game and shut them down, we wanted to win. And, of course, knocking out Palmer so quick, you know, that was great. And then the guys came back again. But we knew Jerry was our stopper. That's why we said he, we didn't have just one number one. We had two number one pitchers on the staff. Jerry would have been the ace on any staff in baseball. Jerry, that game in game two, you took a no-hitter into the seventh inning, gave up one run, we win the game in the ninth inning, and um, you got the first two outs in in, in the bottom of the ninth, I guess Ron Taylor came in and relieved you. Did you feel much pressure going into game two, knowing that it would be tough to win going back to New York 0-2? Well, I was always afraid of losing, so I certainly didn't want to lose that ball game, but you're, uh, you're there as uh, one of 25 players, playing for your team you don't want to let your team down either and so uh yeah you just go out there and do your best and uh Gil took me out with two out in the ninth and the reason he put me out there for the ninth was because Boog Powell was coming up so when I end up walking Boog Powell and so then that was over with so then he uh brought in Ron Taylor and we got the last out Jamie what do I have a game five to the signing game the Orioles get three uh, runs early. And as, again, as the history goes, you came back to the bench and told the guys on the bench that's all they get and that's all they got. Do you remember saying that at that point? I do because I was pretty ticked off. You got to see how they got their runs. Frank Robinson, who is one of the best hitters in the league, both leagues really, uh, hit a two-run homer off of me and I believe it was the third inning. And... Um, Anyway, uh, second or third or fourth, right, right in there. But anyway, then later, um, Jim Palmer comes, or not Jim Palmer, uh, Dave McNally comes up to hit, who was the pitcher I was pitching against. And there was a runner on, so we're all looking for the bunt. Gil Hodges looking for the bunt. And uh, in a bunting situation, I want to throw a high fastball. Hopefully they pop it up and uh, we can do a trap play or something like that. Well, he's swinging away and he hits the home run. No, wait, there was nobody on. I think I got this. Oh, uh, wait, wait. Frank Robinson had a solo home run off me and Dave McNally hit the two run home. Run right, right, right. When he should have been bunting. And uh, so, yeah, that was very upsetting. And I was uh, highly perturbed when I come in the dugout. I said, that's all we're going to get guys. I had to let my team know that, uh, hey, I wasn't done. I wasn't shot. I wasn't tired. It's just, just they beat us on those pitches. Eddie, remember what the feeling like was on the bench losing early in that game? Well, you know, we knew we, we were ahead at that point, so it didn't matter. We knew we could always come back in the next games. It was not a problem. Losing one game is not the important. You had to lose four, you know, and that's what the Orioles wound up doing. So, we never got down. Gil didn't let us get down. You know, we all were encouraged. We had a great staff, and they were throwing well. So, you know what? We didn't expect to lose. Hey, well, I have you. How, don't you – maybe because we're in a closer situation. How is Gil Hodges not in the Hall of Fame right now? Well, because the current guys that are, that are voting, you know, never saw him play. 
and he only managed a short period of time that they didn't realize how good he was. If you don't know somebody, you're just going by numbers. You know, the, he's, he's more than just a numbers guy. You know, he was inspirational. He was a leader. He was a great first baseman, you know, in the early years in a different era. You look at the current guys that are voting. They look at current guys. The game has changed dramatically, you know, since the 50s. Gill was a premier player in the 50s, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. No yeah. question about it. Yeah. Jerry, what did he mean to you playing for Gill? He meant a lot. He was like a father to me. Um, plus, like Crane talking about his hitting ability, I think he had 14 grand slams. And that was in the era when they didn't have the live ball like, you know, we did later in our career or they do today. But Gill, Gill was a brilliant baseball man, manager. He was always two or three steps ahead of the posing manager. It was fun. I sat down there by him and Rube Walker a lot and uh, would listen to the strategy. And it was just unbelievable. I learned a lot. And uh, the way he handled his ball club, what he expected of his ball club, and um, he got it done. He taught us one thing, worry about yourself. Don't worry about the next guy. Don't you know? blame it on the next guy. Just do your own job. And we yeah. did. We worked well together. Jerry, you had some great stats. You know, 220 lifetime wins, 140 to Mets. An unbelievable 108 complete games, 26 shutouts. But one of the things that stands out for me, in postseason, 4-0, and didn't lose, never lost a game in postseason. How were you able to get up to those games? Did you do anything differently? Or what, what made you even take it up a notch in the postseason? Well, getting up for them isn't hard. It's, that's automatic. You're just excited to be in post game and, and uh, you know, let's go all the way. We're, we're coming this far. Let's win it all. So, yeah, no problem getting it. The thing was getting too up for them and get too nervous or put too much pressure on yourself. Yeah. Uh, we had a great group of guys that we kept each other uh, with our feet on the ground, you know. What does it mean to be, Joe, I'll start with you for what is it? Let me, Eddie, start with you. I'm sorry. You still, after all these years, there have been a lot of world champions in all this sport. But still, when you talk about champions, 69 men to either 1 or 1A and 1B, what does it mean to be part of a team like that? What's up with you, Eddie? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, being part of the 69 Mets, people around the world, don't let you forget it. Everybody was there watching the 69. It, it happened at just timing. Timing is everything in life. And, of course, winning in 69 with all the problems in the country, the Vietnam War, this and that, so many things going on, they don't let you forget it. They all were there. So, you know what? You live in eternity through the 69 Mets. It was a great group of guys. Jerry, so you're on the mound in game five. We were losing by, it was a guy in base. David Johnson hits the ball in left field. What were your feelings when you saw the ball go, go out there? The score was five to three at the time with two out in the ninth. And the crowd, you know, was packed. Shea Stadium was packed. And the crowd was so noisy, so loud, you, you couldn't hear the ball hit the bat. So when David Johnson hit that ball, you couldn't tell how hard he hit it. Normally, the sound of the bat has a lot to do with it. And uh, so I couldn't hear it. So now I turn around. I didn't know if the ball was going out of the ballpark or not. And I, by the way, my eyes were on Cleon Jones. And when I saw him slow down and turn around on the edge of the warning track or edge of the gra outfield grass, then I knew that the, the 
ball was uh, going to be a fly ball in the ballpark. So then the only thing that could happen after that is if he drops the ball. And so I'm just saying, Clay, I'm squeeze it, you know, catch it and squeeze it. Do not drop that ball. <laughs> well, well, guy, Jerry and Eddie, I appreciate your time. So remember, August 28th, 645, be your seats. This is to Eddie and Jerry being here. You know, Cleon Jones, Ron Sabota, Art Chamsky, you know, Wayne Garrett. are going to be there. A lot of the 69 team meets here to support Jerry. It's well-deserved, long overdue honor again. And Jerry and Eddie, thank you very much for being on the latest edition of Alumni Men's Podcast. I look forward to seeing you guys in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Jay. Thank nice. you. Good seeing you. Uh, all right. Good seeing you. I can't My pleasure. Eh? Regards to Monica, Eddie, please. Bye-bye now. So long. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah. you.